This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker, and we're here with a gentleman that's going to come in, and he's going to complement a previous presentation discussion that we've had in the past by Beverly Cyril down in Australia. She is Corbrain Journal 157 on Dissociative Identity Disorder. And what's really cool about this conversation is Dr. Earl Flora is going to tell us about a specific wrinkle regarding dissociative identity disorder, which is going to be really quite interesting. So, Earl, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. You're well. Glad to be here. So what we're going to do, first of all, is do a quick note from our sponsor, and then I'm going to introduce Dr. Flora to you. Core Brain Journal is sponsored by Great Plains Laboratory. They have deep international biomedical testing activities for improved targeted mind science details. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biological answers beyond the current standard of guesswork and also provide multiple training webinars for both the public and medical providers on how to use that data effectively in the office. Check out their website for references and testing details and take note of this, my friends. You can register right now for a complimentary test drawing this week on the OATS, which is the organic acid test with 75 specific testing answers from a simple urine sample to find out what's going on on a molecular and cellular level in your body. So run over there right now, register for the drawing at greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ. Why not jump on it right now? Now let me tell you a bit about Dr. Flora. You know, we're in Virginia Beach folks down here and Dr. Flora is right up there in Williamsburg, just a stone's throw away from beautiful downtown Virginia Beach. And he is a doctor of psychology. He is in a full-time private practice at the Poplar Creek Psychological and Counseling Center there in beautiful downtown Williamsburg. He offers therapy for all ages and a wide range of individuals. His specialty is treating dissociative identity disorder. So he has uh, utilizes a well-publicized but seldom used single sentence to quickly identify DID clients. We're going to be asking about that in detail. In addition, he's developed an abbreviated technique for working with clients suffering from DID, dissociative identity disorder, by avoiding the use of abreaction to bring the personas together without forcing them to relive the negative effects of the event that caused their separation in the first place. So he's got a book called Then They Were One, Fusion Without Abreaction Via the As-If Technique in 60 Seconds or Less. Dr. Flora, thanks again so much for joining us. I'm looking forward to hearing about this. Now, one of the things we want to do is, first of all, find out about you as a person. So tell us a little bit about how you got into DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, and then we're going to talk more about your book in just a minute. 
Well, I uh, just want to give you your listeners a little background. I originally studied for the ministry and found out uh, not didn't take too long that I really liked the counseling part, but I really didn't really enjoy the pulpit. So in midlife, I changed, um, I always say horses, and I went back to graduate school to get my doctorate in clinical psychology. So it was during that time, I had no idea about and then we call it multiple personality. I mean, it just wasn't something I was interested in or anything else. But as it would be, an acquaintance of mine was diagnosed with multiple personality oh. and by a psychiatrist. And he was absolutely right. I, had, I, I was totally unaware of uh, anything about it. I knew nothing about it. But anyway, to make a long story very short, I became interested in it. And so I did my dissertation on tracing the historical development of the diagnosis and treatment of multiple personality and the uh, 19th and 20th century North America. Mm. That's how I got my doctorate. So that was an exhaustive study of literature. Well, I'd hate to have to do an exhausted study of literature now because (laughs) there's certainly a voluminous amount out there. So anyway, that's how I, I became interested in it. And then through that, obviously, I started to well, I went to conferences in Chicago, and uh, I think that was really the only place. So when I joined ISH, which is the International Association, which still exists, I'm not a member now, and that's not a reflection on them. So through many books, I mean, I had a whole library. I bought everything I could and read and read and read and studied and studied and studied. So when I was doing my internship, I actually had the opportunity of diagnosing a couple of people that turned out to be multiple personality. And talk about mind. I hadn't thought about this until right now, but one of the fascinating things, I realized that some of these people, or at least the one that I was working with, could read my mind. And so what I did was I made up a list of 20 questions that had no connection with each other, such as, uh, did you eat breakfast this morning? Did you read the newspaper? Uh, what is your favorite color? Etc. Etc. And uh, to test this young lady, I just read them with my mind and she answered what she heard in her head. And she answered very clearly, yes, no, yes, no. So she got to the 10th question and then she says, I'm hearing yes or no. And I looked at my questions because I thought I had written them so that they were clear and not ambiguous. And the question was, do you have enough money for lunch? So I rewrote the question and the question I read in my mind. Now, she's not hearing any of this. Do you have more than a dollar in your purse? And she said, no. Well, this one I could really check out. So I said, would you please put your money in? She had 99 cents. Oh, my gosh. I tell you, it blew me away. Now, this is going back back in 88. Uh, I mean, when I was done, it's just like, that totally sold me on this. And, you know, being a minister, I'm a man of faith. I certainly believe in spirits in a parallel universe, call it whatever you want. So it really opened my mind. Plus, I had, had the wonderful opportunity of studying hypnosis while in graduate school with a gentleman by the name of Uwe Gertz. He looked like he was from Vienna and he looked like Sigmund Freud. But having had that background, it really 
prepared me for being becoming more involved in what was MPD at the time. And one interesting thing about these folks, people don't realize the way that they switch is through basically self-hypnosis. They're always in a trance. So I'm getting ahead of the story, but I never use a trance induction with them because they are always. That means they are highly suggestible. Well, all of us are highly suggestible, but these people are extremely suggestible. So any therapy that I do, I don't induce a trance, whereas I was taught to induce a trance way back when. And so that evolved over the past 27 years. So I realized early on that I did not need to. And not only did I not need to, but I shouldn't because that then invited criticism that we were creating the altars ourselves. Well, certainly in a trance, you can create alter states of consciousness, but what you don't have is you don't have the history to support the diagnosis. So that makes it very, makes it distinguished from someone actually causing it themselves. So that's how it started. And then it, it just involved that I became more and more involved. And I hate to say, I hate to be critical of anybody, but this was a, a diagnosis that was buried with in the diagnosis of schizophrenia back in the early 1900s. When they took away from MPD diagnosis, hearing voices talking in your heads, people who have DID obviously hear voices talking in their heads, but it's their voices and they can carry on a conversation with them. Whereas schizophrenics, and I've spent six years working in psych hospitals here in Virginia, so I certainly have been familiar with schizophrenics, and their voices don't respond to me. So it's very simple for me to diagnose a person if I can ask the voice. And I, I'm a little reluctant to say some of this on TV because the book was written for therapists, and I don't like people playing with these folks. But with a simple question, I'm able to uh, engage in the dialogue. Whereas with a schizophrenic, no such. They don't even acknowledge I exist. They don't respond to the person. One that I'll never forget was up in Marion, Virginia, when I first started in Virginia in the state hospital up there. And the gentleman had a voice that told him to chop grandma's head off. And that's a direct quote. I never forgot that. I don't know how I could. Anyway, there's nothing I could do to encourage that voice to shut up or to change its tone or why is it doing it. So the only thing you'd say with a person like him is, well, do you have to chop grandma's head off? That's the only way you can help them. But working with these wonderful folks, and they are wonderful. They are special people. They are, they really are, but they're the most maligned and the most misunderstood and the most mistreated people in the world. And that's where my passion comes from. So I tend to digress. So maybe you need to bring me back, back on if I get too far afield. So anyway, when I joined the state hospital, they said, oh, well, you're sure if you have any multiples here, you can treat them. Well, wouldn't you know, their schizophrenics started, their voices started talking to me. Well, that sort of ruled out them being schizophrenics. And so they put me in the geriatric uh, part of the hospital, which as it would be divine or however, when it position open down here, had to be a supervisor in Hancock Geriatric Treatment Center. I got the job and moved down. By the way, my family are from Virginia, both of them. My mother was born in Fredericksburg, and, and all of my family live up around 
Corbin, uh, Caroline County, and Spotsylvania County. So I really wanted to come back to Virginia. I was actually born in D.C., but this sort of born without a state, so it's my adopted state. So <laughs> it's worked out fine. And, you know, it's within 90 miles of my relatives. Unfortunately, all the males have passed away in the past 27 years. So we're kind of here by ourselves, but we love it. So you were there, were you on Eastern State? Were you at Eastern State Hospital? Yeah, so Is that what it was? The, that's the one that's right outside of Williamsburg. Right. And they so were then kind of re rebuilt it since I left in 94. So you were running a uh, geriatric unit at, at that point. Right. And yeah. we were building the private practice at the same time. I might add to you to show you the, and I'm not being critical, folks, when I say that because this is not taught in school. I probably have to give you a little bit of background. The schools tell us, and I remember it. I absolutely remember saying, well, we've got so many other things to study in abnormal psych. Multiple personality, you'll never see them. There's so few, you'll just never see them. So don't worry about it. You'll never see them. Well, God, I first person, well, the first person that we interviewed, and by the way, she was from, from Virginia Beach, but it's many years ago. She came in with the diagnosis of multiple personality, so I felt a little comfortable. But then there was a lady there to prove my passion here, to show just how these people have been mistreated, unfortunately, because they were buried in the diagnosis of schizophrenia. Yeah. This lady was 71 years old. She had been diagnosed as schizophrenia at age 18 in Eastern State Hospital, had been a resident there for all of those years, and now her voices are talking to me. What a tragedy. I mean, what a heartbreak. Now, stop right there and let me ask you this question, because when you say that, I think our listeners really need to get, you're there in the moment with that person. Right. When you say the voices are talking to you, so what you're saying is one of the multiples was talking to you. I guess we needed to define our terms, too. And that's one of the most difficult things about this disorder is really defining the terms. These are compartmentalized earlier life experiences. And they are compartmentalized because I really need to help them. Let me explain what disassociation is. I need to start at the beginning. Yeah, that's good. We're all born with other coping skills, but one of the primary ones is disassociation. We all can do it. I do it probably 50%. When I tune my wife out, I just disassociate it. And I'm sure that's never happened to you or your spouse, <laughs> but... <laughs> It's that's disassociation. When you go to the movies and they turn the lights down and the movie you know, it's a silver screen and suddenly there's something funny, we laugh and if it's scary we shriek and if it's sad we cry. Well we have suspended reality in a sense we have disassociated. And of course, creativity or you know, you're watching a sporting event and you're able to have so we call it selective listening. We have a lot of ways of describing the same phenomenon. But hypnosis, of course, is the ultimate disassociation. Put you in a trance, you totally dissociate that. If you want to be on Mars, I could put you on Mars. You want to be in Disney World having a wonderful time on me, I'll do that. By the way, those are some of the techniques I use with difficult alters. If they don't want to cooperate, so how about going to Disneyland? I'll pay for the whole thing and I create it. And they go and then they come back and tell me they had a wonderful time. But I do that to protect them in the, while I'm working with them. That's one of the techniques that I use. So disassociation is normal. A child, all an infant can do is internalize. And that's what we're talking about. It internalizes. It blocks off things. What else can we do? But the majority of us, 
actually learn how to cope without using disassociation exclusively. That's the problem. So there's something about these folks that's, in, I say, in the DNA, and I leave that up to those folks to figure it out. I, that's not something I can do, but they are a little different. According to the DSM-5, which gave me actually the impetus to go ahead and publish my book that I had actually written for 27 years, is they came out with statistics that in some small community that they unnamed, approximately one and a half percent of the general population had DID. Well, boy, that gave me what I needed, and that's when I published my book. And by the way, I sent out offers to the big publishers to publish. They didn't want to publish it, so I self-published. And I was say, tell folks out there, it's out there and it's free, and it's a wonderful way to get your story out if these other companies don't want to help you. But anyway, that's what disassociation is. And the wonderful part about working with these folks is they are very, very intelligent. I have not met one that I don't believe is in the 99th percentile. They are very, and how in the world could they pull this off if they weren't? On the back cover of my book, there is the well, first case that I was successful with, but she had 247 different altars. Really? Yeah, she's been together since, she says, 94. I think it's been a little later than that. And they have become my best friends, her and her husband. And her husband actually has a testimonial in the book also. Most couples, it'll break them up because it's very difficult to deal and live with a person that's disassociated. So anyway, I did give you her name, by the way. If you wanted to use it, she was willing to talk with you. Oh, good. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely have her on. It'd be fun. Yeah, be interesting. So, so anyway, that is what these people are. It's not the event. A lot of the literature that you'll go ahead and if you go ahead and Google all this stuff is how traumatic all of these things that happen to these people. Well, sure, that's going to create like a PTSD, a post-traumatic stress experience. But I have many people who have never had their feet nailed to the front porch. Many people have never been raped or beaten as children, but they are highly disassociative. So it doesn't take much what they considered or their subconscious considers or their defense mechanism, call it whatever you want, because honestly, I can't really tell you what it's all about, but it reminds me of a case that I was in court with many years ago here in the, with Judge Fairbanks, and it was a domestic relations a child custody, and the opposing attorney says to me, Dr. Floor and his story. Can you please tell, explain to us what multiple personality is? Before I could answer, Judge Fairbanks, who's still on the bench, says, how do you expect Dr. Floyd to explain the inexplicable? And I said, thank you very much, yeah. <laughs> So I've never had yeah. to explain. But you know something? I can't explain life either. Yeah. I can't explain most things, but I can describe them. And that's all we can do here is describe them. I want to take a quick minute here because I want sure. to ask you a key question. Okay. You're giving us a very excellent background, and we really get an idea of the puzzlement and the perplexity. There's a basic theme. What you're saying is that a lot of people for years have said that these multiples occur under the force, the difficulties of having disintegrated somewhat under, under stressful and trauma situations. And the thing I want to ask you when we get back, because I want to really delve into what you do about it. I want to hit the title of your book, and I want to get into it a little more. Okay. You have a very important point here. If people are thinking that the only way to bring multiple personalities back into the single personality is to have one particular technique, you're saying, look, guys, there is a whole nother technique that's workable out there and can be used in a very simple, easy way. 
And that's the fusion can occur without abreaction. Now, I'm going to ask you to explain that when we get back. I'll be glad to. I need to explain abreaction, yes. So we'll talk about that, folks, in just a minute. When we come back, we'll be back in just a minute. Today, the world of mind science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain-body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public and medical professions. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSight for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot. They get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences, in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash cbj yeah that's core brain journal cbj so welcome back folks and earl if you would just tell us let's we left off with that whole thing of what's an ab reaction and then the very next thing behind that i hope you can tell us how you can pull together in 60 seconds or less different multiples without necessarily going through the ab reaction process. So let's start with what an ab reaction is and then talk about the process. Okay. Another word, technical word for ab reaction is called in vivo desensitization. In other words, de desensitize is a behavior modification technique, very well known, but very hard to do and very protracted also. And some of the things you've heard and people that you've already had on your program is how long this has taken and it's, it takes forever. Well, under my system, it doesn't take forever. It takes about me 45 seconds, but I figured I'd give my colleagues a couple of extra seconds to do it <laughs> since I've been doing it for so long. Look, I have to joke some here because you keep yeah. too serious, and I joke a lot. <laughs> so maybe I can relax here now and become who I really am. Okay, so every action, we were taught in graduate school, in vivo desensitization, this is if a person has a phobia, it could be fear of heights, fear of flying, fear of snakes, a fear of elevated, fear of bridges around here, people are afraid of, could be anything. So what you have to do, you have to keep the person focused on the fear for like 24 to 48 hours. Mm. Well, that that's a team approach. I mean, you have to have it. It's very hard for therapists. So anyway, who's going to pay for it? Let's get, get where the rubber meets the road. Nobody's going to pay you 24 hours continuous therapy. So anyway, to forget that. You know, we'll try to do something else. But the other pseudonym for that is 
or synonym, I guess is the right word, excuse me, is um, abreaction, which means you make the person relive the trauma. So it is a trauma, and trauma, I'm going to define my definition. By the way, in my book, I give my definition. Let's see, you can have your own definition, but when you read the book, this is what I'm talking about, and it's going to be different from what you read someplace else. But anyway, it's not the event that's blocked. It's the affect, the negative affect that's blocked. You see, the mind is so, so all of our, that's what I say. Let me take a deep breath. You always say, I'm not breathing, so <laughs> let me take a deep breath. Okay. We all experience horrific events on television. I mean, I'm not going to start talking about them, but I don't block them. You don't block them. The majority of people don't block them because they're not emotionally attached to them. They're abhorrent, but we're not emotionally attached. It's when we become emotionally attached to it, the event, that it can be blocked. And it could be blocked as PTSD. And I use that with folks because they can seem to understand a singular event that causes the mind to block that event from the consciousness. Now, my theory is, and this is, goes along with what you, you have been doing a lot of, that the mind has already figured out that the conscious mind, it's not the subconscious mind, but the conscious mind could not deal with this to the point of causing us to go into shock and probably die. So it blocks it from, I can't figure any other reason, that it blocks it from the conscious mind. So it's not the event, it's the negative affect that is the blocking. That's the barrier, the amnestic barrier, something we haven't Interesting talked about point. yet. Interesting point. I, I hadn't really thought about that before, but that is a differentiation that's important because people do get focused on the event, no question about it. Okay. Now, and I'm going to jump around a little bit. You want to do this in an hour. This, I'm preparing a certification course. It's going to take three days for me to teach this thing, <laughs> you know, eight hours a day. Yeah. So I'm trying to give you an abbreviated. So here's the thing. And if you read the literature and your you're wonderful people that you've had on there, I listened to it and my heart kind of breaks. I, I wish she lived near me. I could fit, help her a lot quicker. As I said, it's not the event. It it's is the, the feeling. So now you have a compartmental, you have a, a part of the mind. Let's use the PTSD. It's a lot easier to understand. Now I'm old enough. Uh, I don't know that you are to, to be really familiar with Vietnam vets, but a lot of this PTSD came out of there, meaning that there were such emotionally charged events that the mind blocked them off. So you get the 75-year-old Vietnam vet sitting in his living room, and he's watching a history, one of the history channels, and here comes a newsreel from Vietnam, and here comes a Huey helicopter. Wop, 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 wop. That's what they sell it. Wop, Yep. The guy's sitting in the chair, everybody's sitting there watching, and suddenly he's on the deck, on the carpet, and he's shooting the enemy. Well, it's not the 75-year-old guy there. It's the 18-year-old who that was blocked from the conscious mind. But through, now this is key. This is how we remember anything, by the way. Paired association. Something is similar. If you think of reminiscing, it's easier to understand. People sit and start reminiscing. Oh, I forgot about Uncle Tom or Aunt Mary, blah, blah, blah. That's called paired association. So that's what brought that 18-year-old blocked in other words, compartmentalized, I call it, life mm -hmm. event into the conscious mind. Yep. Well, 
this is like a 35 millimeter film that's being now played when he was 18 years old. And it's going to play the same thing over and over and over again. Everybody's looking at him like he's crazy. Now, to illustrate this compartmentalist, I'm going to tell you about a young lady. Well, she's not so young, middle, in her 30s, who I was working with. And I'm going to have to uh, use at least a little bit of a, it won't be a vulgar word. But uh, anyway, this lady, I knew she had a son, and she was very disassociative. And I had him keep a journal. I had these folks keep a journal. And in the journal, she, this one writes to me, Dr. Floor, is this deja vu? Every seven days, I'm in New York in my blue jeans, my denim, she called them, and my boyfriend is kicking the hell out of me. Every seven days. How can I be in New York and I'm here? So I brought her, and this isn't something I do. I'm bringing people, I'm bringing these parts into the consciousness less and less. So I have to say that. But at this point, I brought her into the conscious mind and she explained it to me. So I joined her in 45 seconds with the core personality. And then what does the core personality say to me? Now, and this is important, that took me 45 seconds. Now I understand. I was pregnant and he was trying to cause me to abort the baby. I thought no. I passed out. Oh and what God. happened right there, Chuck? Not only did I break the barrier down, I took away the hurt, the pain, and the suffering, but I also processed the whole event in 45 seconds where my wonderful colleagues are trapped. This is a question you want to ask. And I'm a trap too. I'm an old dog. It's hard to teach new tricks too. So anyway, the event itself was processed where? Not in the 18-year-old, but in the 32-year-old mind. Okay, but where was the trap? You were saying trapped, and I wanted to follow that line of reasoning. How were they trapped? The event was, this was so clear, seven-day event. So we have on that 35-millimeter film, think of your life experience at 35. There's only seven days that this person, persona, has any memory of. Oh, I got you. Okay. Now, she only told me of one event. So let's not get too complicated in this one. I'm trying to show here was a compartmentalized event that was traumatized through the negative affect. Now, of course, mm-hmm. he's kicking, he's hurting her, but it's the negative affect. Now, what am I joining here? I'm actually taking away the barrier. When I take away the barrier, then the life event, the interesting thing is, and this is a little sidebar, she was living in hell since she was 18, and now the body is 31. But every seven days, you see, she is still being re-traumatized. It's like Groundhog Day all over for her. And for all of these authors, this is the tragedy. This gets so deep. This way, I don't have enough time to really delve into it with you. These people's minds need to be brought, the negative feelings need to be taken away so it can become a normal memory, which is easily processed instantly, basically, with my technique. Okay, so how do you take that negative affect? I got you. I'm with you now. But then what do you do to the person this is what listeners are wanting to really hear. How do you, what do you do with that person to get that negative affect transformed in some constructive way? Okay. Now, I'm not going to get too much here. Understand. I mean, they can buy the book and go online and buy it. So, I, obviously, I had to wrestle with that one, but that's another story. Okay. What happens? There's a ceremony. Now, 
remember I gave you a little background here. He's talking to the Reverend Dr. Earl Floor. Even oh, yeah, though yeah. my pastor says, this is my ministry where I am and the church is his. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't go to church because I want to run the place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but anyway, with all of my background, I put together basically a marriage ceremony. But it, as it turns out, it's not technically a marriage ceremony. And that gets a little complicated. But what I do is I have them join. Well, everybody, in order for the trauma to go away or for it to become a memory through ab reaction, they make them, this person, they would have brought her into the conscious mind, this 18-year-old, and made her relive that in the conscious mind until she exhausted. And since she would have exhausted, that would have taken care, that would have been the ab reaction. Now, once that's done, it automatically joins because the barrier is gone. It's the negative aspect. Now, my little ceremony, I'll tell you what the ceremony is, part of it is. Where does it go? The question really is, Chuck, where does the barrier go? It goes up into the atmosphere, out of space, never to return. Now, my colleagues, and I used to belong to the International Association of Clinical Hypnosis and American Law, they say, don't ever take it all away. Well, guys, guess what? I hope you're listening because I take it away. I don't leave it hanging out in space and looking like a little head of a pen. That's what they do, but I don't do that. So anyway, in the ceremony, I say, removing all hurt, all pain, all suffering, causing to come out in the form of a vapor. And by the way, this works with other people that have other emotional problems. And I didn't invent this part, by the way. Removing all hurt, pain, and suffering, causing to come out in the form of a vapor, forming a cloud above you, going up in the atmosphere, out of space, never to return, thus allowing time, and this is important, to heal all wounds. And also have a processing sentence in there so that they process it all at once. But I have them join hands with that part and embrace. And when, when, I, when they tell me, when I say that's removed, they disappear. That the persona, in other words, when I say persona, I mean, it functions as like you're functioning, I'm watching you. You're a person, okay? At this point, you're in the conscious mind. Yep. Well, these people are not in the conscious mind. They're in the subconscious mind. So I call them personas. But what happens, they actually hold, the persona holds the feeling, just like you would hold the feeling, your mind would hold the feeling. Right, right. And this is only a recent discovery, and I'm so excited about it, is that I really didn't realize it's that persona that I'm thinking is joining them. No, they are the hurt. And when that part of the conch, that becomes extinct, it goes away. Now what's left is the memory, and the memory has already is now non, non-traumatized, non-traumatized. Mm-hmm. And so the person has already processed it. I rarely do any therapy. Therapy would be the person, you know, I'm having trouble with this. I can't, I hate my mother and I don't, well, I have the person, show me the person. I say to the person, she comes in, I hate my mother. I can't get this out of my, I said, all right, close your eyes and look to the right. There's no secret in that. I just have them look to the right. And I say, tell me what you see. No leading questions. I happen to also be a forensic psychologist. So I learned a long time. You don't ask leading questions in the law. Tell me what you see. And they'll say, Oh, well, I see myself standing over there. Oh, well, that's great. What do you look like? Well, I must be about 16. I'm dressed. And they tell me how they're dressed. In other words, this is beautiful. They have abilities I wish I had. They actually can see themselves. And so I say, okay, at this point, I probably wouldn't even want to talk to that other part. But I say, walk over and take her hands. 
They take their hands and I say, now as this embrace, as the two of you embrace, actually now since I, most of these people are Christians and you can, it isn't the part that I bring God into this that makes them come together. That's not what it is. But these people are mostly Christians. So what I do is I bring a white light down. Now the white light is important because it covers them from head to toe. But since they're Christians, I say, and I think of John the Baptist being baptized in the shaft of light coming down, and I say, and then a shaft of light light comes down covering you, symbolizing God's blessing on this union. So there's my my marriage ceremony. And then I go through with the rest of the process. Now they're embracing, and some people, and you can look at me here, because you can see me, they may have their hands way out here. That's how fat that, that person was. Because, you know, I deal with people our age. So parts of them were heavy at one time. And then as I joined them, look, if you can see this, their arms come back like this, and then from they're gone. And now they tell me what, they tell me the experience, and they're talking about it as if it's a normal thing. I don't have to do that. That's called processing. And I, I know listening to your wonderful lady you had on, and I listened to her, the stuff she's going through that she doesn't have to go through is just, I mean, it almost makes me cry. Now, I am having a problem here. You didn't ask me my goals, but I have, I have eight goals, and I don't know if we have time to go. I guess we really don't, but I could talk for two minutes. We could talk. I think the thing that would be good as we wind down here a little bit, what would be, if you were to take, I think you said eight. I couldn't quite hear what you said, but if you have eight goals, let's take the main objective that you would like to share with our listeners as you're winding into this next thing, because this is, you're obviously passionate about it. You're living in the moment with people that you've actually worked with. So then what would be, as you close here, where would you like to go with this whole thing? What is your goal? What is your long-term objective? Okay. Well, in the process of, in a lot of process, I'm in the process of setting up what I call the Flora Azef Integration Institution. And I want to make it a nonprofit organization. The main part of this is going to be to certify folks and using my technique. And already I have four people that are said, put me down on the list. Mm -hmm. Now, as you know, we met over LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I have just had my 10,000th LinkedIn. And part of what I'm going to share here with you is the promo. And you read the promo that I sent. I know it's rather long, but some people read it. So, so I do put the goals, but I say the most pressing goal, I don't know that there's one that's more pressing than the other, but the most pressing goal is to get my colleagues, basically college professors, to get their departments, because I know it's very complicated, to start letting them teach DID yeah. as at least a valid problem. Now, see, I call it, as a psychologist, I hate calling anything a disorder. I call it a phenomena. These yeah. people are not, they don't have a disease. This can't be treated with medication. Unfortunately, I have people that they've had electric shock therapy. Now, when you do that, you fry the brain, you kill yeah. nerves. So that yeah. really messes up everything. So I want it to be taught. That's the number one thing because they're not teaching it. So that's the number one thing. And, and I have now contact, I think it's 750 different college universities around the world. I have my books sold in South Africa, in Australia, and England, and France. I have a 
a gentleman who's doing the therapy in Iran. Oh, God bless him. That's oh. wow. That's wow. I mean, is it God? I mean, God has really in this. I have to. I have to give God credit for this. This is. It's just wonderful, and He's opened the world to me because now I have. I'm in every country of the world knows about the Azef. Now, whether they use it or buy the book, that's another thing. Well, let's take a minute. Let me interrupt right here because you said something, and I want to close with this point because we talked about as if a little bit, but let's close with what that as if, what you mean when okay. you talk about as if, because okay, that, then, and, then, and the application of it so we can wind up with that concept, okay. an important okay. concept. Well, the core is the as if. Now, that is not something I invented. It's been around for a while, and I explain that in the book as a scientific principle. In hypnosis, we have people very familiar with age regression, right? Regress you back to an event so you can see how this happened. Okay? Well, guess what? We have age progression, too. One of the first things I did when I first came in, I don't know how they even found me, was send a young couple to me that she was miscarrying. She couldn't carry a baby. So they sent her to me to do some hypnosis. Anyway, long story short, I put her in a trance. I carried her through the whole pregnancy. I had her deliver the baby, hold it in her arms, and then... She actually delivered it. And when we had a blizzard here many years ago, I'm over here in the farm fresh and there's nobody else than me and my wife and our pickup truck. And here they walk in together with the little girl. It works as if it's already happened. Oh, I got you. So now let me tell you something. When yeah. they try to sell you a car, they say to you, what would it be like? What would it feel like? As when it's feel like yeah. you own this thing, just sit in it. As a, they use this technique on us all the time, whether you yeah. know it or not. So when I say, processing all life events and the time it happened is as if it never happened. Gotcha. Well, now you need to listen to something because you're going to get a kick out of this because you're really parallel with some other people that we've interviewed. And so what you want to do is you want to go back. I don't have the numbers right in my head, but you want to type in ART, accelerated response therapy, which is really very much in line with what you're talking about. Okay, good. AR what? A-R-T, Accelerated Response Therapy. Okay. And there's a, and the guy's name is Kevin Kip, Dr. Okay. Kevin Kip, K-I-P. And his associate who manages the organization is Miss Breeding. I can't remember her first name, but Breeding. And those are two interviews we've done with people who do A-R-T, which is very similar to what you're doing. And there's a collection of data where they actually go into this next level and then have a way in their technique of dropping the experience. Rebuilding as if it were as if it were this other experience, which is constructive as opposed to the other one, which is not oh, constructive. I have to comment on that. I'm sorry. You, okay. you, just, you just want to it. They just rewrote the script. I don't rewrite anything. These people can deal with everything that they've life experienced. And here's the point I want to make. Okay. When you change a person, just think of Star Trek, you know. You don't go back to Earth and change anything because you change everything. Mm -hmm. And when it's like that little kaleidoscope thing, you turn it a little bit and all the things change. I do not change any thoughts. These people are able to accept the life events because they happen in the past. And in the as-if ceremony, I say it's removing all that hurt, pain, and sorry. And so they... As I'm saying, I never really do therapy because it's instantly processed. Mm -hmm. But when you go back and restructure something to make it happy, 
you've changed the person's life. I'm sorry. I have real reservations with that. Really. I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, I agree with you. I don't think I'm, this is my own innocence in the whole thing because I don't think I really stated it effectively. They don't really introduce a new concept. It's the well, person. people do. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there yeah. are people who reframe. It's called reframing. Yeah, I that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. But boy, I could be. Well, no, they could no. be critical Great. of me. Could I point out something you asked? Sure, sure. What is so hard about getting this across? Well, first of all, it's not taught, so these people don't know. So when I go on LinkedIn and, and have this wonderful opportunity to offer people to join me and then they find out about this, well, they're busy. The clinicians, they're already full doing things. It's the young people that haven't been so full. They're the ones that, that I'm really trying to approach. Because mm -hmm. one of the laws of learning that we all get hung up on, it's called permanency. Mm -hmm. It affects you and it affects me. And your organization, what your goal is, that's what really attracted me to you know, contact you was, hey, man, this guy and I are on the same page. He sets no boundaries. I set no boundaries. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the mind, what things I, I get into in a person's mind and the things I've seen, it's unbelievable. I know they're real. So I don't change history. Now, look, my life, I have a lot of crap in my life. I'm just mm -hmm. using the term. But you know, I didn't enjoy going through it. And the Bible says, no testing for the time seems profitable. And in a season, it reels forth its peaceable fruit. It's peaceable fruit. I'm in that period of life now. The point is, these people, these are the things that happened to me, which I'm not going into, that make me a better psychologist. So mm -hmm. you want to change that and made it, well, that was a wonderful experience when my father abandoned me when I was six? Whoa, well, I went through hell with that one. Mm -hmm. depression and you know all the rest of it, anxiety gastrointestinal problems migraine well you know there's very few people come into my office that i haven't been there done that so mm -hmm. i don't want you to take that away from me that's a badge of courage yeah it's an honor so you mm -hmm. see what i'm coming from there yes i do yes i do good point excellent point i yeah. mean we got a lot of people now want to change history <laughs> literally <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're having trouble with that one i won't get don't, on our don't mention politics <laughs> no but but what I'm saying is, I don't change history, and I'm yeah. sorry. And I'm not sorry. I mean, I'm sorry my colleagues. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Well, Earl, that is really very, very interesting. It's a great summary. It's very interesting. I mean, you do have a different way of approaching the material, and I, I do think you guys are pretty parallel. I don't think, you know, they, I didn't say it quite as well as you did in terms of what's going on, but I think that whole thing of, of rebuilding by actually revisiting the past constructively. I'm not rebuilding. Actually, I am destroying. I'm taking walls down. It's very different. Now, mm -hmm. I'm, again, I don't want to be what he's doing. If he's and I've talked to people that have different approaches and they get the same results. We want to give the people their minds. I want to say this: short of watching my two sons being born, coming to the last altar and joining these people's minds and giving them their mind for the first time since they were born, is the greatest blessing experience and humbling experience yeah. I have in my life. Very interesting. Yeah. It's a miracle. So, and I love, love working with them. Well, you know, let's talk. We do have to wind up here because we've had a very interesting conversation. I really appreciate you coming on board, Earl. So let's talk Dr. Earl Flora out of Williamsburg. Let's talk about the website where people can get in contact with you if they want to do more with you. Could you leave that with us as we yeah, go? Yeah, it's a EWF and then as if now dot com. There you go. EWF e as if now 
com. All that's in one word. Right. And that's my website. That's great. Well, I thank you very much for coming on, Dr. Flora. It's been great talking to you. And well, really, you've got a very innovative approach to the whole thing. And it sounds very encouraging what you're doing. It sounds like you could really make a difference in a very short period of time. It's great. It works, Chuck. It works. And, you know, we're sowing seeds. That's what I'm doing. I'm sowing seeds. And people are picking that up. And, and it's for those, you know, it's not for everybody. And the problem really is there are very few people that even know how to diagnose it. And by the way, that's why they end up in offices like mine, because they've seen the other therapists and the therapists have missed it. And I don't blame them because they were never taught. And that's why I blame the institutions. That's where I put the blame. And that's where you want to get the training done. I understand the question about it. Well, thanks so much for coming on, my friend. I really appreciate it. It's been a very interesting conversation. And you've taken us down a decidedly different, improved path. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for this. It's been a blessing for me. Thank you very much. And and God bless your work. Thank you very much. You're doing wonderful work. And God bless you as well. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to Corbrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.